You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected to our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge or at our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message and we would love to hear from you. So if you do have a Bible, Acts 27, that's where I'm going to be this morning, Acts 27. We are really getting to the end of our series called Naval Gazing in the book of Acts. Uh, I have enjoyed going through this series, going through, tracking through the life of Paul, a man who uh, was radically changed by the person of Jesus. A, a man who began his life learning uh, uh, that if you do the right things, if you follow the right things, if you obey enough and put enough effort, enough gusto, then you can earn your own righteousness. You can be good before God. But someone who then uh, uh, was, was confronted in an unexpected way by the person of Jesus uh, with grace. I have given my life for you. Here is my righteousness, I have given it to you. Uh, And he completely changed his life uh, and went about all that known world planting churches and sharing the gospel. So it's been encouraging to go through um, that this confrontation with Jesus involved Paul turning things from gaining his own self-righteousness to then uh, giving the righteousness of Jesus, preaching the righteousness of Jesus all throughout the world. Uh, My kids this week, um, by the way, that was awesome. We probably need their energy more. I was like, they are doing actions. I'm like, you know what? We probably could learn a lot from that. Um, Yeah. Yeah, we probably could. Um, I love love that. I love seeing the kids and their, their energy. Uh, This past week, the kid, my kids at school did a Christmas, uh, performance Christmas concert. It's a public school, so I didn't, you know, you're not, you're not singing Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, more like uh, Hip Hop Reindeer was one of the songs. Um, uh, They did sing this song, Jolly Old Saint Nicholas, which has nothing to do with the real Saint Nicholas, but there was a Saint Nicholas. I don't know if you know the story. Uh, St. Nicholas lived in the third century uh, in what is now Turkey, but Asia Minor. This is where Paul wrote a lot of his letters and Paul did a lot of his ministry. That's where St. Nicholas is from. St. Nicholas uh, was born to a wealthy family. He, his parents, though, were devout Christians, but they died when he was young. So he took the words of Jesus literally. What a crazy idea that he took the words of Jesus literally. His very large inheritance that he got from his parents, he decided to take the words of Jesus literally and said, give it away to the poor. And so he did. That's the story of St. Nicholas. He gave away all of his inheritance to the poor, the needy, and the sick. And he became known throughout the land for his generosity, particularly toward who? Children. Hence, St. Nicholas. He's a real, real dude who was changed and influenced, empowered by Jesus. He gave his inheritance away because that's what Jesus told him to do. So the story of St. Nicholas, jolly old Saint, so I was reveling in, hey, they're singing jolly old St. Nicholas in the public school. I don't think they have any idea what they're actually singing toward, but St. Nicholas was a good dude. During his tenure, though, uh, he, he did become bishop eventually and was known throughout the land for his generosity, particularly toward children. During his tenure as bishop, a new Roman emperor came into power. His name was Diocletian. If you know history, you know Diocletian was one of the most horrible Roman empires that existed. Diocletian began a, a campaign of ruthlessly persecuting Christians. So St. Nicholas had a choice, right? Either I keep doing what God has called me to do, knowing that I'm probably going to be persecuted for it, or I can control my life. Do I continue to live by faith, or do I now live by sight, knowing that there's now a storm brewing in my life? He had a choice. Do I continue to press on to what God has called me to do, or do I seek to control my own life, control my own destiny. 
many Christians at that time faced the same ordeal. Do I live by faith or do I live by sight? It was said at that time of Diocletian when he was emperor that the prisons were so full of bishops, priests, and deacons that there was no room for actual criminals. Okay? That's what Diocletian was. was. It was so full of bishops, priests, and deacons that there was no room for actual criminals for Nicholas himself occupied one of the cells. So he was thrown in prison. Christian history is not always pretty. I mean, if you, if you look through church history, it's not always a pretty scene. However, it's full of similar stories like St. Nicholas of faith. People choosing to live by faith rather than maintaining control of their life and living by sight. While we can easily dwell on the fight for power and control that have plagued the church throughout history, there are people by the thousands who've pressed on not for gain of control, not for gain of power, not for gain of influence, but courage. They were filled with the courage of the Lord and pressed on to continue to do the right thing that God had called them to do. There's thousands, millions of Christians throughout history that continue on to this day. As we've been going through the book of Acts, we would be very misguided if we took this book and we looked at all of the things that Paul did and we think, wow, look at all the impressive feats that people accomplished who by their careful planning and follow through conquered the known world. That would be sad. That would be really sad if we got to the end of Acts and we're like, that's what we need. We need the church like this because, man, they conquered the world. That would be sad. That's not what Acts is about. Acts is a book of the movement of God. It's a movement of the Spirit of God over the world despite, often, the shortcomings of the church. With nothing but faith to fuel ordinary Christians to do extraordinary things. That's the story of Acts. Paul was a normal guy. I mean, I don't know if he's normal. He's probably like type A personality. Uh, maybe a little annoying, like he seemed a little headstrong sometimes. But he was a human being, just like you and me. It was faith that fueled ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's the book of Acts. Not through careful planning, not through you know, impressive achievement, but the Spirit of God moving throughout the face of the earth and, and, and calling people to follow him. So as we go then through and wrestle through this book of Acts, the wrong, what I would, we can't do is the wrong uh, uh, motivation or response to the book of Acts would be, okay, now I gotta go and get to work. I gotta get out there and get to work just like Paul. That would be wrong. That would, that would be a wrong response to the book of Acts. The question that I think we have to wrestle with is, do I believe in the working and plan of God? It's not, I just got to get out there and do the work just like Paul, but do I believe that God is still moving today as he was in the early church? Do I believe that? Do you believe that? Say amen if you believe that. Like, if God is still moving, it should then cause us to respond if we truly believe that. Here's why I say this. If it's just I got to go out there and work, I got to preach the gospel. I'm going to stand on the corner and preach the gospel, which would be not bad. I got to go do what Paul did. A little bit, you know, not really wanting to, but I got to go do what Paul did. The tendency will be this. I'll serve God, but still maintain control over my life. It will be serving God fueled by your own fear rather than faith. If it's not, I don't really believe God is working. I just got to go get to work myself. It will be serving God fueled by fear, not by faith. You'll only serve up until a point where your control is then threatened. Then you'll look somewhere else to serve. Man, I've experienced that too. Like, I'm going to serve God, I'm going to do what God wants me to do up until I'm a little bit threatened in my own control, then I'm going to go do something else and once it gets a little uncomfortable for me. That's what will happen if you are serving fueled by your fear rather than your faith. When you look at Paul and why he does what he does, I mean, man, uh, Ryan, thank you, wherever, there you are, Pastor Ryan preached last week, and it was awesome, yeah, amen to that. I'm super thankful. If you didn't get to listen to it, I encourage you to do that. Go on YouTube or Spotify. All the stuff is on there. Listen to it. Last few weeks, we've been going through the whirlwind of Paul's life. 
man, man, like going up before governors and kings, having to give defenses, and he was beaten basically to death and having to carry away like a Roman, Roman soldiers had to carry him out from a raging mob. He's been through a whirlwind and back, and all his defenses, Felix, Festus, King Agrippa, that Paul, uh, Paul, I just called you the Apostle Paul, Ryan, that Ryan shared last week. Well done, well done Ryan. Must have been really good. And in the middle of that, uh, Paul, not Ryan, Paul makes his appeal, say, I, I, I appeal to Caesar. And Felix says to him, or to Festus says to him, to Caesar you appeal, to Caesar you will go. And they hand him a bus ticket, and now he's on, he's on his way to Rome. No, that's not what happened. Voyages in antiquity would have taken a very, very long time, weeks, months, many stops along the way. So Paul finds himself in the start of another, as one Bilbo Baggins, another adventure. This time, though, as a prisoner. And this one, honestly, in this chapter in Acts 27, kind of tops them all. You're almost reading, you're like, did this happen? And I believe it did. So I'm just going to read it, okay? I I don't know, like, I'm not going to summarize it. This is going to take a little bit of time, but I'm going to read it. I might make some stops to explain some things. So I I encourage you, if you don't have a Bible right now, get a Bible, follow along, Acts 27, verse 1. I'm going to read the whole thing. Okay, so if you're not looking at a Bible, I encourage you to do that, whether on your phone or, or a Bible. <laughs> I don't know how to say that, but your, your Bible is on your phone too. Uh, Acts 27, verse 1. Listen to this story. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, by the way, Luke is with him, apparently, because he's using second person, where I'm included in this, because Luke is the one who writes this book. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, he's going to Rome. They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort, cohort named Julius, embarking in his ship of the Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia. We put to sea, I'm going to read fast by through some things, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave. That kindly, you're going to see it again. It's the word like where you get, you know, philo or, or, or love. Like, you know, the Philadelphia is, is brotherly love. This is used the same way, but love for anyone. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus. So they're, they're using Cyp- the island of Cyprus to protect themselves against the wind. The wind were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of... You can see all the stops they're making along the way. So this is taking a long time. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. So they're sailing across the open ocean and Mediterranean. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee again of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, ironically, which was not fair at all. It was very crazy weather, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the, f- the fast was already over, so the time of year was not a good year to travel across the open sea, Paul advised them, saying this, Guys, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. This is probably not a good idea. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot. You're just a prisoner. The pilot knows what he's doing. And to the owner of the ship, then to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind, this is where it gets good. Everything's leading up to this point. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing they they obtained their purpose they weighed anchor and sailed along crete close to the shore so like it's going well let's go verse 14 but soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster rather a tropical storm struck down from the land and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind we gave way to it and were driven along running under the lee of a small island called Cotta or Clotta we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat after hoisting it up they used supports to undergird the ship then fearing that they would run aground on on Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus were driven along so they're just out in the open ocean 
wherever the wind would take them. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard to lighten the ship with their own hands. Then it says this, this is the lowest of the lows. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no, by the way, no sun nor stars is a big deal back then. To us, it might not be a big deal because we have things like radar. They have no radars. They have no idea where they're going if they can't see the sun and the stars. They have no, sun nor stars appeared for many days and, and no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. This isn't gonna, we're gonna die out here. And I hate, I don't really like boats. Anyone like being out on the sea? I have, I, I was out once, I had a job. I worked for the MNR, a couple of, Ministry of Natural Resources for a couple of summers. And there was a time they took us out onto Lake Erie. Not Mediterranean Sea, Lake Erie. And, the, you know, the waves might have been this big. All day, after about an hour, I am green over the side like everything was coming out of my body. So uh, I have a bad taste for being out. So I cannot imagine uh, out in the middle of a tropical cyclone being driven along. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been, verse 21, been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete. So Paul's like, uh, he's get, he gets his little, uh, I told you so in here, you know, that really, it's always satisfying to get that I told you so in. Uh, you should have listened to me, not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet, now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. So the ship's going down, but you will be saved. For this very night there stood before me an angel of, the, of God, who to whom I belong and whom I worship. I love that. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, which has been said many times throughout his crazy whirlwind adventure. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on some island. Let me finish the story. When the 14th night had come and we were driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further, farther they took a sounding again and found 15. So they're getting shallower and shallower. Fearing that they might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay on the ship, you can't be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat. Now they're really listening to Paul and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food. So they've gone two weeks without food and you've taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food for it will give you strength for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he has said these things, I love this verse. I don't know if it's pointing here, but man, the wording is, is there. When he said these things, it's gonna remind you what Jared just said. He took bread. And giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had, so it's a big ship. When they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out, with, throwing out the weed into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they had planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, and at the same time, loosening the ropes, they tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow, the bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape so that they didn't basically have to face the consequences of letting a prisoner go. So they're going to kill him. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Let me, let me just read a couple more verses. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. There is, it's still an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. It's a tiny little island right in the middle of the Mediterranean. The native people showed us unusual kindness or hospitality. They kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it began to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper... Like you think, what did you I just survived a shipwreck and then a viper comes out because of the heat and fastens on his hand, so it bites on his hand. When the people saw it, the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, though he's escaped from the sea, justice, and it's 
some translations might be a J, because they meant like God himself has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who, who uh, received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set in a sail that had wintered on the, in, this, in the island, a ship of Alexander with the twin gods as a figurehead, putting in at Syracuse. Syracuse, not New York, Syracuse, but in the Mediterranean. We stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found the brothers. So he's in, he's in Rome and we're invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard, of, and sisters there, and you could apply that into both. And the brothers and sisters there, when they heard about us, came as far of the form of Apius and three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Wow. There's a lot in that passage. Like, that's a book in and of itself. You know, I've read Moby Dick and you know, Swiss Family Robinson. It's like one of those, those kind of deals. There's a lot that could be looked at in this passage. Paul, though, as he appeals to Caesar, and they know they've got to spend a, a long, long journey through the winter across the Mediterranean. That's the only way you get to Rome. Tropical cyclone kicks up, struggle for a couple days to control the ship, but eventually they throw their tackle, to, tackle overboard to lighten the ship, and they're driven along basically wherever the storm takes them. And as I said, no sun, no stars, no radar, so they don't know where they're going. And then the summary in verse 20 is all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. The storm, while literally true for Paul, as we read in 2023 Canada, unless you're planning on going to Italy and getting caught in a storm, it is still applicable to us. The storm is representative of uh, the un planned or unpredictable things that can happen in our lives. The storm, while literally true, to, literally true for Paul, represents some things that are true about our own lives. When it says there's no, that was it, it was no small tempest. Literally, it's like they, they, they pictured the storm as like it was attacking us. We were under attack by this thing. The storm comes out of nowhere and attacks your sense of determination. There's nothing that will attack your sense of self-determination that I have ultimate control over my life like an unpredictable storm that comes up in your life that you have no control over. There's nothing that will say, man, I, I am more fragile than I thought I was than a storm that kicks up out of nowhere in your life. It's no small tempest to drive you off course into the depths, into lost at sea, and verse 20 summarizes many of our responses, maybe some of you, where you've given up, I've given up hope, that anything good is going to come to this. See, fear in general, like those men on that ship, fear in general is a response to realizing how fragile the control and plans we have of our own lives really are. And I believe acting on fear rather than faith Acting on fear rather than faith is trying to regain that same control that we believe is under attack. Rather than just facing what you can't control, it's trying to regain that same control that you believe is under attack. And this is where things can get pretty scary and pretty selfish, actually. You know, think, this is where humanity can get pretty scary. When your control is under attack and I'm going to do anything that I can to regain that same control. Things can get pretty scary. It's in these moments when human beings who assume they're good and act in ways that they protect themselves that they become subhuman. I mean, in verse 42, we see what happened, what, what were the men on the ship going to do to the prisoners in order to save themselves? They're just gonna kill them. They're just gonna kill them in order to save it so that we don't have to bear the consequences. We're just gonna kill the prisoners. Because if we let them escape, we have to answer for that. So they think, my solution, in order to regain control of my life and to control my circumstances, is to just kill them. 
This is where humanity can get pretty scary. You know, in 1781, a ship that picked up Africans to be slaves in Jamaica, when that ship was caught in a storm, they lightened the load, not by throwing the tackle overboard. What did they throw overboard? 132 Africans to save themselves. The humanity becomes pretty scary when your control is under threat. And maybe you wouldn't dream about doing something like that, and hopefully none of us would ever be drawn to that point. But as soon as our sense of self-determination is shaken, we can become pretty selfish people. We can. You know, whether it's large as literally murder in this passage, or something like when a pandemic's coming and we freak out, and so we're going to hoard all the resources so no one else can get them. We can become pretty selfish. As soon as our sense of self-determination is shaken, we almost become subhuman. I think maybe for you today, though, you can react in a couple of ways. Maybe you're not you know, literally in the Mediterranean and your life is at stake. But I think when our sense of self-determination or control is under attack, we tend to react in a couple of ways. One is we succumb to the fear. Like fear controls us everywhere. It's like we, we can't have faith because we live day by day just completely afraid of what is going to happen and fear has completely taken over our life. You can't even move forward due to the fear that's in your life. Two, and I think this is true for a lot of us as well, you pretend the fear isn't there. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Now I'm, I'm quoting Eminem in one of his. I'm not afraid. We just pretend it's not there, right? I'm like, if I keep saying that I'm not afraid, I'm soon not going to be afraid. But we, we're like that Instagram influencer, that big, the, like, a, like a guy who Instagram who gets up at 3.30 a.m. and says, you need to take control of your life, gets up at 3, eat nails for breakfast and stare directly into the sun, and then you will get control. Like, you'll never have any fear. I think that's, those guys are completely off their rock or something, but you pretend the fear is not there. You avoid it at all, at all costs. You convince yourself that you're not afraid when deep down you are. Both believe something that I think is a lie. Both are trying to regain their control in order to conquer their fears. They think, I cannot conquer my fear without having control over my life. That's how I'm going to regain control. That's how I'm, that's how I'm not going to be afraid. The problem in this passage, the storm. I don't care if you get up at 3.30 in the morning and take control of your life and eat nails for breakfast. You can't control the storm. The storms do come when, they least ex when you least expect them to. When your plans seem to have been working out, a storm comes. Even when you eat your breakfast of Wheaties and determination, the storm can send you drifting off into sea. When you say your vows for your marriage, there are things that will come that you did not predict and you didn't plan for. And then what do you do? A storm will come. When it comes to family, job loss, disease, Storms come in life that you have no control over. My friend, we spent, I said this a couple of weeks ago, I think to you. Uh, my friend Dan is a church planter in Port Dover. He and his wife, Jill, have three beautiful children. Their youngest is four years old, Luke. We spent Friday with, uh, Friday afternoon, Nikki came with me and we prayed with Dan. Dan we, there was an event, a 24-hour prayer event for Luke. Basically, Luke's brain cancer has come back and there's no cure. He's due to die in six days. There's nothing Dan can do other than pray. He has no control. It's a storm. And in some ways, you know, we struggle. In verse 20, like, all hope of our being saved is gone. We tried everything. So where did they do you get courage? Well, everyone else has given up hope and at their end. A prisoner named Paul stands up in the middle of these guys. Everyone else has given up. This is it. We're done for. Paul stands up and he's like, um, guys, I don't, I'm not going to name names. 
not going to say who, but someone did say not to do this. This guy. (laughs) And then he says in verse 22, I urge you, though, take heart. Or in other words, have courage. So where does Paul draw that from? And my question is, as I read this, can I have the same? Paul's not superhuman. Can I have the same courage when the storm comes? Where does Paul draw that kind of courage? Because Paul doesn't have control either. It's not like he's, he can't stand up in the boat like Jesus and say, calm, be still, and the, and, and the storm will go away. Paul doesn't have control either. You know, typically the message is in our world that when a storm comes, you do have power, you just have to realize your power. You know, whether it's Harry Potter or every single Marvel movie is, oh man, there's a really powerful bad guy. Oh yeah, I'm really powerful too. And then they die. Like, that's typically, sorry, you should mock me for that. That was my rendition of every Marvel movie I've ever seen. Okay? Like, you do have power, you just have to realize it. Paul has no power against the storm. This is not a Marvel, he's not Thor who can wield power from heaven and say, calm, I've smoted Thanos to the ground. Like, he has no power in this scenario. It's like it's good advice until it's not. I feel like that's what the world, like when you have a storm, it's like just realize your power. It's good advice until it's not, until you have no power, no control. I was, I'm, I was watching this show that it's fascinating. You should watch it. If you're an outdoors person, you should watch it. It's called Alone, where they send... F- Everyone's like, yeah, yeah. There's some, there's some nodded heads. They, they, I'm fascinated by it. Um, they send 10 people out into the wilderness, and they, it's just survive. You're, you get nothing with you. You got to kill squirrels and muskrat, whatever you can find. You just got to live. It's awesome. It's fantastic. It's better than any Marvel movie I've ever seen. And uh, because it's real life. And, and yeah, there's, they have no, like, they, you're just trying to figure out how to survive. How do I get water? How do I eat enough? How do I eat enough protein? How do I get enough fat? They're just trying to survive out in the middle of nowhere. And it's fascinating to me, all of like the empty kind of like, like, like uh, 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 mottos that they all have. They're like, I just got to believe it. And then it's going to happen. Like, there's this guy, Barry, who's like, his, his thing was that if I already believe that I'm going to win, I've already won. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the last one. What's the problem? He, he doesn't win. He loses. Like, what's the problem? The problem is it doesn't matter how much he believes, he couldn't get enough food to eat. And so he was starving to death, so they pulled him out of the game. He had no control over it. And he wasn't a very good hunter, for that matter, but that's beside the point. But it's like, it's good advice until it's not, right? Like, here's some nice advice for Instagram quote that you put up. It's good advice until you're facing a storm, and you have no power, and you have no control. It works until it doesn't. Paul doesn't have control either. To make matters worse, not just from the storm, but from the people around him. I mean, he told them not to do this. And now he's stuck in a ship because of his, his, his stupid friends. I guess not friends. He, they're, they're his, 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 his lords, basically. He told them not to, and now he's out in a ship with them. You ever feel like that? Like if I was in control, if I had my way, none of this would happen. You know, we blame our spouse for our lack of control. We blame our kids. We blame our boss. We blame our church how, for how afraid we are. We blame other people for how afraid we feel. But Paul speaks comfort to them. Take courage, men. Take courage. So from where, Paul? Courage isn't having more power over the storm, but courage is admitting that you don't have control and pressing on anyway. Courage is not knowing the consequences, but like St. Nicholas, doing the right thing anyway. So where does this courage come from? Courage looks beyond yourself, beyond the storm, to God himself. Courage, firstly, takes God at his word. Courage takes God at his word. Paul knew he had to get to Rome. Why? Why Why did Paul know he had to get to Rome? It wasn't some feeling that he felt. It wasn't some motto that he knew. Why did Paul knew he had to get to Rome? Why? God told him. This is what you're going to do. This is what's going to happen. So Paul knew he had to survive this. All he had, though, God told me this was going to happen. God 
Paul had courage because he took God at his word. Verse 23 says, For this very night there stood before me an angel of, of, of the God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. And he said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. That's happened a couple of times now as, as we've read through these passages. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart. So have courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Courage takes God at his word. All throughout this moment, men, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen between here and there, but I do know God told me this and I believe that's going to be true. It's happening. Faith is seeing something that you can't see yet. That's what faith is. Faith is seeing something that you can't see yet. That God says is going to happen, but you don't see it yet. But you believe it's going to happen. Even if, or especially if, it's beyond my control to make it happen. As I said before, Acts is not a book of a list of church accomplishments. I mean, look at the workings of God. I wish I could go through this whole story, but I can't. I'm going to focus on just this one section. But look, look at the workings of God to accomplish this. Paul didn't do any of this. Like, did you notice all of the things that happened in this story that Paul had nothing to do with? For one, being shipwrecked on Malta. If you look on a map, Malta is like a dot in the Mediterranean. It's like a needle in a haystack to actually be washed up on Malta of all places in a storm. God did that. The centurion's order of compassion. If this was just some other Roman centurion, Paul and the other prisoners are dead. But he, God had worked that there was a compassionate centurion who was, on, who was, who was in charge on, on that ship. Not only that, but the native Maltese people were filled with an un... Did you notice that? An unusual kind. This is weird. An unusual kind. You think that's just like they, they were unusually kind? Who was doing this? God was doing this. The protection of God in a snake bite where everyone thought, oh man, he's doomed. But God protected Paul even from a snake of all things. And even, and I love this part because it literally says he took courage from it. Even an unexpected greeting from brothers and sisters in Rome when he gets there. All of these things. Did Paul do any of that? Your head should be this. Paul did none of that. All Paul knew was that I know it's got to happen. I have no idea how it's going to happen, but God said it's going to happen, and I will take courage in that. Courage takes God at his word. No way any of these things could be predicted. All, ha- all Paul had was faith in the promises. Our problem, like Paul, is we don't get to see how it's going to work out either. But we do see God's word. We do see the promises, like Paul. All of those workings, we see them, we're like, praise the Lord. Paul had no idea any of them were going to happen. He had no idea any of those things were going to happen. All he saw was a storm, but he believed in the promises. All we see is God's word. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That might be all you see. Everything around you might seem like a storm and all you know, all you see, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Whoever believes in me will not perish but will be with me forever. Come to me and I will give you rest. That might be all you've got. But for Paul, that was enough for him to have courage in this life. There is an amazing power in a promise. There's an amazing power in a promise. A power that gives you all the courage to fight for whatever is in front of you today and whatever you are facing today. My famous line, is not famous at all. My famous line is not famous. It, those of you who have been to some of the weddings that I've performed, I hate the word performed, that I've done. It's weird. It's weird to say you performed a wedding. That I've done or led uh, my, my line is, because I wholeheartedly believe this, there's power and promise. The only thing, Kale, because I, I did Kale and Alicia, so they, 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 they probably don't remember this because they're staring dreamy into each other's eyes at this point. But for everyone else, you know, uh, the only thing more powerful than I love you, than how you feel and what you see right now is what? I w- Thank you, Kale, I was listening. The only thing more powerful than I love you that you can say to one another is a promise. I will love you. 
it gives you the courage to fight for what you can't see yet. You might, your marriage might be in shambles, but a power of a promise that says, I will love you beyond the storm gives you courage to fight whatever's in front of you today. Amen? That's called a covenant. That's called a promise. And that's what God makes with his people. That might be all you've got, but for Paul, it's all you need. The men on that ship, secondly, I, gotta, I know I got to end. The men on that ship thought this was their journey and their mission. But as soon as, soon as the storm, like I said at the beginning, there's nothing like a storm to rock you of your self-determination. The men on that ship thought that this was their journey and their mission. But as soon as the storm came, the world was turned upside down and they came to realize that, no, you're actually on somebody else's mission. You're, some, you're on someone else's journey. You're not in control, but somebody else is. Paul didn't believe what control was just thrown into the ether. You know, I have no, this is how some people respond. I have no control. Life is just meaningless. Cicero believed that. Don't fear your life. Life is meaningless anyway, so what does it matter? A lot of postmodern belief, that, that's what it is. Don't be afraid. None of it really matters anyway. You're going to die and, you know, you'll be just like you were before, before you are born. That's very postmodern. I think it's kind of hopeless, honestly. I think it's kind of hopeless. What makes life meaningful is the love that we experience between each other and between us and God and the love that we experience from God to us. And I think it makes life meaningful to be like, no, actually, it's not just, it's not just meaningless that love lasts forever. We experience that forever. It makes life worth living and worth fighting for. I don't think life is meaninglessness is a great motivator to do very courageous things. It's a great motivator to do very selfish things, but it's not a great motivator to do very courageous things. You know, YOLO, you only live once, is a great motivator to do the most selfish acts you could possibly think of. But it's not a great motivator to do very courageous things. Things that you know are going to be hard, but are still right to do. I don't think St. Nicholas would keep going if it was just like, well, life doesn't really matter anyway. I'm not sure that was a great motivator for St. Nicholas, nor for Paul. The men on that boat thought that it was their journey, their mission. I determined the results. Their world was turned upside down, and they realized I'm on actually someone else's mission. Courage doesn't believe that control is thrown into the ether. That's not what Paul believed. Courage believes there is one who is actually in control. His name is Yahweh. I love when he says in this, I urge you to take heart or to have courage. There won't be any loss of life, only of the ship. Why? Because God told me this. But this is who God is to me. This is the God who spoke to me and said, and Paul says, this is the God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. To whom I belong and to whom I worship. I don't often see it, but God is actually the one in control working all things for our good. See, courage takes God at his word. Courage takes God at his word. But courage also, sorry, I've got to get my line here. Courage takes God at his word, but courage also believes, so that's pretty simple, that God himself is in control. All the things that were done to Paul and how do you keep going in all of his defenses and sufferings and shipwrecks, how could this possibly be that someone else is in control? There was another who was in the Bible, if you look at who was unduly persecuted by not his Roman overlords, but by his own brothers. His name was Joseph. And some of you probably know this verse that we take great comfort in. Joseph is persecuted by his own brothers out of jealousy and rage from his father's uneven love toward his family. And Joseph is basically killed, sent away as a slave. For all they know, he's going to die. At the end of it, obviously, God worked in the background all of these things that no one else could plan, not even Joseph himself. And Joseph says these words to his, to his brother that are true for us today. What, what you intended for evil, God himself intended for good. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. Notice that when, when, Paul, when Joseph says that, he doesn't say that all the things that happen are good. And in no way am I saying the storm that you're facing is a good thing. 
In fact, in some of the storms that we face, they're intended for evil, and they're not good things. But in the background, God is still working. That's the faith that we have. That no matter what happens, God's control isn't trumped or under threat, like ours is. God's control is never under threat. Courage is believing God himself is, never, is, is always in control, and, never, and that's never a threat. All things happen for our good, and they are never out of his control. We may never know why, and I, I do not want to be the pastor, that when something horrible happens to you, I'm like, this is exactly what God is doing in your life. I never find that very helpful because I'm not God. I never know why. But I do know this. God is in control. And you can keep going because God is in control. When Paul, when Paul says, this God to whom I belong and to whom I worship, it's a very intimate term. Like he is mine, I am his. It's very intimate, right? When you use the word my, it connotes that you know that one intimately. You know, there's another church planter that uh, you know, we go, we'll go on retreats or hang out with, and his name is Aaron. And so Nikki, when they're talking about Aaron between the wives, they'll be like, is that, is that your Aaron or my Aaron? You know what I mean? What, you're, what, are, what are you saying? You're saying you know that person intimately, right? Like this, this Aaron, that's not my Aaron. That's, that's, that's your Aaron. That's what the other wife says. I don't want that Aaron. That's your Aaron, Nikki. Get him away from me. When Paul says, this is my God and I am his, he is saying that I know him intimately and he is with me even in the storm. I am his and he is mine is a statement of intimate relationship. Sometimes we go through these storms and we start to question and our faith is rocked and I think there's a place for this. But we have to remind ourselves and we are here as a church to remind each other. Sometimes we believe that God has abandoned me or he's punishing me. No, Paul, I am with you in the storm. It's the most radical thought. I'm not actually alone in this storm. In that show alone, the winner, I really liked him. One, he, you can't take a gun, so you have to fashion a bow and arrow in it. He shoots a moose and kills a wolverine with a hatchet. He's a crazy person. Okay? He's a crazy outdoors person. It's like every man wants to, I want, I want to be that guy. That's who I want to be like. If I don't kill a wolverine with a hatchet, I have not lived. And uh, his name was Jordan Jonas. I watched an interview after on YouTube of this guy. And some of the people dropped out because they just were filled with such loneliness. And I was kind of like taken aback when he, because he, he seemed like a nice guy, a good guy, but I didn't know fully his story, and I don't know how much they show, because they have to take the camera. No one's filming them. They have to film themselves while they're out there. He said, um, you know, the question was, how do you, how do you, how do you live, because he was out there for 80 days, and he won. No one else lasted that long. Um, he said, I practice the presence of Jesus. That's what he said. I'm not actually alone. So the question when he was like, what do you do with the loneliness? His first response was, I'm not actually alone when I'm out there. So I pray, I practice the presence of Jesus, and I remind myself, God is with me. God is with me, God is with me. And I was like, oh, shoot, Jordan, amen. Yeah, I love, I love this passage because, you know, that one of the reasons we take communion is that we, we're invited to the table of the king and we're invited into relationship with Jesus. And it's really where, it's kind of, the, in, in some ways, one of the reasons we, we decided to do communion every week as a church is, is it is the moment, it is, it is the act of gospel that a church does together. When Jesus invites people to be a part of his table by his grace, and when you eat together, you're, you're connoting a sense of intimacy with one another and with Jesus. It's, it's literally the gospel act more than anything else. I don't know why Baptist churches do it like three times a year. I, I don't know why that happens. We decide to do it every week because it is the gospel act that we do as a church. And in the middle of that storm, even though they had no idea what was coming, they do this great act of faith. I don't even think anyone understood what Paul was doing maybe, but he takes a loaf of bread, right? In verse 36, and when he had given words of courage, words of strength, it says, when he had said these things, he took bread, giving thanks to God for it in the presence of everybody. He broke it and they began to eat. And I don't know if any of them knew what was going on. For, for Paul, 
It was a symbol of the presence of Jesus with me. Courage takes God at his word, and courage believes that God is in control. Even when you have no control yourself. Let me pray. God in heaven, thank you for your word. I don't know all the storms that are going on in people's lives, but I know there are some. I pray for my brother Dan, who is going through a crazy storm right now. No direction. He has no idea how this thing's going to end. But what I love about my brother is he's like, I still believe God is good. There are things that I don't know in this life, but I do know that God is good. He has a plan for me, he has a plan for Luke, even though I don't know what, exactly what that is. And he displays great faith in the middle of that storm. Give me courage, God. And it's not about gifting. It's not about personal strength. It's faith. May we believe your promises when we're scared of what's going to happen to the church or what's going to happen into the church in this world. You have said, I will build my church. That's an I will. That's a promise. I will build my, we don't need to be filled with fear. We need to be filled with great faith and courage to do the right things because you have promised what's going to happen. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. When we feel stressed and anxious, you say, come to me, I will give you rest. It's a promise, I will give you rest. When we're scared even of death, you say, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. May we believe your promises, man. May I believe your promises. Fill me with faith that I would have courage to do the right thing in the middle of a storm, that you are still in control of all things. I pray for this in your great and holy name. Amen.